Hello, and thanks for tuning in to the Grace Church of Ocala Sermon Podcast. We are equipping disciples who make disciples in Ocala, Florida. What follows is an audio recording from our Sunday morning worship gathering, and we hope that you will find it encouraging, challenging, and helpful. If you have any questions or would like more information about Grace Church of Ocala, please visit our home on the web, ocalagrace.org. Morning, guys. Go ahead and flip to Haggai for me. For those of you guys that don't know where Haggai is, it's kind of dead center of your Bible. If you have one of the story Bibles, it's on page 652. You'll, you'll find, uh, what's that? Yeah, Matthew, three books back. You got Zechariah, Zephaniah, uh, Babiah, and oh, there's a lot of them in there. Yes. I knew that. What does the word obliviousness mean? Obliviousness. When I'm oblivious, what does that mean? What? Unaware. Okay. Anything else? What, when, I, when, I, when you describe someone that's oblivious for me, what, 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 what do you what do you think of when you uh, think of someone that's oblivious? Yeah, they don't get what's going on. I think of someone who walks into stuff. Like they just like bang their head, their, their leg on something. They walk into a pole. Uh, anybody ever done that? Walked right into a, a pole. I did that with my wife at uh, South Florida Community College one year. Uh, that was a fun trip. Like, the, the definition for obliviousness, it means lacking remembrance, memory, or mindful attention. That's the definition for it. There are a lot of Christians that I would describe as oblivious. That we've been saved. We've come to know who Christ is. Okay, and then what? What's the next step in our development of, of maturing in Jesus? What are we doing now? We know him. We prayed the prayer. We even believe what his word says. And now what? Now what are you doing? They're walking through life with their head down with headphones on, just like we saw with the kids, right? They're just listening to music, doing it, not thinking about anything. But this isn't just an age problem. Older people do this too. They walk around with their regrets, their frustrations, their agitations. And yet you may not be able to physically see what it is. It's the same thing. We're oblivious to what's actually going on in the world because we're so hung up in our own stuff. We're so worried about us. It's not an age problem. It's a spiritual problem. When we make what we want more important than what God has called us to do, we become oblivious to the call that he has in our life. We become lacking remembrance, lacking memory, or lacking mindful attention. So we're starting this new series, right? And the title of the series is A New Chapter. What's that a picture of up front? Typewriter, right? Tang, 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 tang. Typewriters, um, they were these things that was even before my time, younger guys, so don't worry about it. It's, it's cool. Um, they are coming back in a big way. They're like records, right? So... The overall idea of this is that God isn't finished writing your story. When Jesus comes before you, and Jesus reveals himself to you, and you come to know who Christ is, yay, musical, yeah, clap, and then it's over. No. It doesn't stop there. He calls you to follow him and to bring glory to him and his kingdom through your actions. That's what he's called us to do. It does not stop at salvation. 
but far too many of us stop there. That's, that's our big idea this morning, is that God's call on your life is to work for His kingdom's glory. It's not about you. Is that crazy to hear? Jesus saved you, and that's awesome. And I'm so thankful that He saved you and that He saved me, and that was amazing. But He did it for a purpose. And the purpose was the glory to Himself and His kingdom. That's why He saved you. He is telling his story to the entire cosmos of who he is, and you're a part of that. You're a part of that. But you're not the key character. He is. Let's give a little bit of background, because many people uh, maybe haven't spent time in Haggai um, in, in the last you know, six months or so. So let's see what, what's going on with our people, the Israelites, right? So give us a little bit of a timeline. So you have 586, Jerusalem falls to the Babylonians, okay? So you had this divided kingdom. Jerusalem is the southern. They fall to the Babylonians, okay? The city would, everybody would go into captivity for 70 years and five cool kid points if you can tell me what prophet was, was uh, doing stuff then. Anybody? I'm not looking at Tyler, but I'm looking at Tyler. That, that was doing stuff here. Who was the prophet that was saying, we're going to go into captivity, it's going to be really bad. He was, he, he created Jeremiah, he's a crier, right? We know Jeremiah's a crying prophet, right? So the temple is destroyed. Jerusalem is now busted. They're going to be in captivity for 70 years. Okay, God's people, think Exodus, right? He called them to be this nation, and now this nation has over and over and over again said they don't care about God. They've chosen other idols over God, and now God is putting them into captivity, and that's happening in 586. Then 539, King Cyrus, he says that they can go back and rebuild the temple. So that's where we're beginning. So now King Cyrus comes in and he says, hey, you guys should go back, rebuild your temple in Jerusalem. Now three years later, the first group of Jews head back to Jerusalem to do the rebuild. If you want to read through this, the thing, we'll read through Ezra. This will give you some background there. If you guys have the Bible reading guide, that's why we've been reading through that. So they're going to go back and they're going to rebuild the temple. So imagine you're a Jewish person and you've heard about this captivity. We've been in captivity in Babylon for like 50 plus years. And now you're going back to the promised land. You know the story. You're going back to the promised land. Think of your flag. You're, boop, 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 boop. you're going back, right? You're going to rebuild the temple. And then after they get started... They run into trouble. The people around Jerusalem try to halt the work. They discourage them. Lots of negative stuff happens. Again, if you want the background on this, read, read in Ezra. Things don't go well. So if things aren't going well, that means God's not involved, right? So they just halt the work. So they go back into Jerusalem to rebuild the temple, and then they stop. After that, 10 years goes by. Over 10 years where nothing's happening on the temple. But you know what is happening? They're building up grandma's farm. Because now they're back in Jerusalem. They're back in their motherland, right? They've heard the stories of great grandpa's farm and where it is, and they went to it, and now they've rebuilt his house and everything's going well. So now God is having a bit of a problem. Why would God have a problem with them doing that? What's that? Yeah, he called them to do what? Go rebuild his house. And what'd they do? They went and they remodeled the kitchen. Right? That's a problem. You like how, by the way, I got Pastor Todd and Pastor Michael to read through all those names. That's pretty good. That's smart, I thought. 
During this time, you have Haggai, Ezra, and Zechariah. Those are our prophets. So we're going to spend the majority of our time over the next eight weeks in Zechariah. But we're going to start in Haggai and do these first two chapters right now. So now that we understand kind of what's going on, we need to realize that what God is doing is he's broken into history and he's called his people out of captivity. He's called them back into Jerusalem. Now they're back in Jerusalem and they're not doing what he called them to do for a considerable amount of time. They're not following him for a very long time. Well, very long, 10 years, right? Now, whenever trouble arises, God throughout history raises up a leader. And those are your leaders right there. Haggai, Ezra, Zechariah. The guy Zerubbabel, who we read about, he's the governor. Okay, so think he's like the mayor of the area in Jerusalem. Would you say that these are hot for God believers in Jerusalem? How would you describe them? Probably pretty lukewarm. Right? Would you say that maybe they're oblivious to what, what God has called them to do? Would, you, would we say that's a fair statement? It says in, in verse 1, In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month on the first day of the month. Now all of that basically means it's the end of August. It's about the end of August when this is happening. The word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel the son of Sheatil the governor and to Joshua the son of Jehoshadak. So Joshua is the high priest. And he says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. What did they say? It's not time yet. We know that you pulled us out of captivity, but God, it's, it's not really time yet, right? They're lukewarm believers. They're the person who says, God, you saved my life. Yeah! I'm going to get into that whole maturing and following you thing later. I'm just going to hang out in salvation for a while. I don't really want to mature. I don't want to take the next steps in my walk with you. It's the no, not yet principle. Following God means doing what he asked you to do when he asked you to do it. You ever hear somebody say that? I'm not saying no. I'm just saying not yet. Parents. Who's used that before? Right? How many parents in here have used that? Because I think I have. Are we just saying no, for the most part, whenever we say that? I'm not saying no, you can't do that. I'm just saying not yet. Let me throw out an idea that delayed obedience to God is disobedience. So they thought that since it didn't go perfectly, right? So they went charging into Jerusalem. Things didn't go well. And now because things didn't go well, clearly it's not in God's time. It's not God's time for it to happen now. Do you hear the Christian ease here? God's not, you know, God doesn't really want it to happen now. So we're just going to hang back. And we're going we're to be responsible. We're going to make responsible decisions. And we're going to raise up our farm. And we're going to prepare the nation as we should. And you know, God's temple, you know, that, I get that. But it's not really all that important right now because it didn't go well. So, so God's got that. We'll give it to God. Do you hear it? Do you hear how we do that over and over and over again today? We look at situations when things don't go well and we say, well, you know, it's just, just, you know, God's, God's not in it now. Whoever told you that because God had your back, things were going to go perfect? I, I know that that is preached. I get that. But can we all just publicly declare for a second that that is blasphemous, wrong, and stupid? 
It just is. Following God does not mean that everything will go well. In fact, it means that most of it won't generally. But what it does mean is that he's got your back. And he's there with you. And you'll see that later on in these verses. We're in a cool place because we get to live this right now. We're replanting this body. We're about two years in. We're right at about two years. July. We came in charging God, following God, right? And we're still doing that. But it's been hard. It hasn't gone the way that I think most of us would have seen it coming. We would have thought, hey, once we get here, we, we love on the people that are here, we teach God's word, we show people that we actually genuinely care about them, and then they'll go reach their communities and God's going to blow it up and it's going to be amazing. We're two years in. It hasn't gone the way we thought. So do we just stop? No. You trust that God's working and we continuing, we continue to try to mature in God, love one another, and actually do what He's called us to do. You don't say, no, God, I'm done because it didn't go well. That's not how this works. Following Christ in your life does not mean when it gets hard that you just say, you know what, I'm giving up on that. What it means is that when he's making when it's hard, you'll see later, he's actually calling you to something. Whether we're five or 500, the message is still the same. Take the gospel to your community. The community in which you are called, take the gospel to them because the gospel saved you and it'll save them too. Same message. So how are you doing with it? Are we actively trying to reach our community? That's a question that you've got to take before the Lord. You've got to check yourself. Are you saying no to God by saying not yet? Are, are you a lukewarm believer? Where are we at? He doesn't stop there, though. You see the, the next principle in verses 3 through 9. He then goes on and he says, Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses? When you read paneled houses, just think houses with a roof. Okay, your, your house is done. Okay? While his house lays in ruins, now, for, now therefore, says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Younger guys, here, check yourself. That's what he's saying. Check yourself. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Check yourself. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house, that I may take pleasure in it, that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why? declares the Lord of hosts, because my house lies in ruins while each of you, you busies himself with his own house. What he's saying here is that they need to run a diagnostic. They need to figure out what's actually going on with them. Believers must regularly check in with Jesus to verify their path. It's easy to drop his mission and pick up ours. It is so simple, guys. It is so easy to be going, 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 thinking you're following God, and then look up and realize you haven't checked in with him in weeks. You've been so busy following God that you're not following God. Do you see what I'm saying? 
It's so easy to fall into that trap. And we don't consider our ways. We don't check ourselves. We don't run a diagnostic check. What's that, what's that a picture of? Robbie, what's that a picture of? This is, this is your stuff. I think you saw that. Just put your head down. You're like, ah, it's Sunday. I'm off. Um, but yeah, I mean, you see that and you, you run this thing. Uh, does anybody know what an OBD port is? Robbie, what's the OBD port? Yeah, you go to the dealership and they plug it in and they charge you a billion dollars. Just kidding. Take a shot at him. Sorry. There you go. Yeah, because, because it's, it's finding out what the real problem is. It's performing a diagnostic. It's really finding out what's going on. So what he's saying here is that God called them by saying, look at your lives. Are you really following me because it doesn't match up? You're saying all the right things. You're saying you're following me. You're checking the boxes. You're saying, yeah, I know who Jesus is. Look at my life. But really look at your life. Consider your ways. Plug into that port and then find out why the check engine light's been on for a year and a half. Check yourself. We, we have this, uh, there's this device now that, like when you go, like you were talking about at your store, when you plug that in, you don't see what the check engine light actually says. They plug it in and they see what it actually means. Can I propose the idea to you that you don't really know what the problem is? A lot of times we don't really know what the issue is. We need to plug in. We need to actually meet with God. And we need to listen to the Holy Spirit when he tells us where we got to check ourselves. What we're missing, consider your ways. Think through right now. Allow the Lord to be working on your heart right now because what he's doing is he's pointing out to you the ways that you really do need to check yourself. God is saying that you finished your homes but you left mine unfinished. You were called out of sin and death and into life for his glory. He bought your life for a purpose. So when's the last time that you did a checkup? Think about that for a second. When's the last time you really went to God and said, God, what's going on? Because I feel like I'm working really hard. I feel like I'm doing the right things. I feel like I'm saying the right things to the right people. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I really feel like that's true, God. But you know what? The money's just going right in my pocket. My pocket's got holes in it. The relationships that I'm pouring into are just turning into failures. What's going on, God? We need to check ourselves by going to the one who can actually answer that question. Because it ain't you. It ain't me. We don't know what's really going on. He does because we're too busy in our obliviousness. He continues in verses 10 and 11 by saying, Therefore the heavens above you have withheld dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for you a drought on the land and on the hills and on the grain, the new wine, the oil, and on the ground, on man and beast and on all their labors. What he's saying is, is I shut the water off. I will get your attention. He's saying you need to look up. The problem is that Jesus will use the things of this world to get our attention if we are disobedient to him. And for a lot of us, that's a problem. Because it makes our lives really uncomfortable. You mean to tell me God might actually use your finances to get you in check? Yep. 
You mean to tell me God might use a relationship to get you in check by removing that relationship? Or a job? Or a place that you live? Or fill in the blank. God will use whatever means necessary to get those headphones out of your ears. To pull the frustrations out of your mind that are keeping you from actually paying attention to what he's doing. And a lot of times, he has to push. Because he can't just talk. Because we stopped listening. And pushing really hurts. They weren't following him, therefore he stopped the rain. And when you stop the rain, where do your eyes look? Up. <laughs> You're going to look up. They couldn't feed their families. He's saying, I will get your attention. I've called this leadership to speak the word to you. But I'm also going to make your lives incredibly hard to get your attention. Have you ever been pushed by God? I'm not talking about you heard some direction about what you were missing. You ran the diagnostic check and okay, I got this guy. I, I, now, now let me work on that. I'm saying you ever been pushed by God? Because it hurts. It's not pleasant at all. Are you being pushed right now but your stubbornness is seeing you through? Check your life. Is he pushing you right now? And it is incredibly difficult and incredibly hard, but you know what? You're just stubborn enough to see if you can make it. But you're not looking up. Your head's buried in the sand. He's going to have to kick you in the ribs to get, you to get your head out of the hole. That's heavy. But the great thing is, is verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, and the words of Haggai the prophet, and the Lord their God sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message, and he said, I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatil, the governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all of the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. What he's saying there is 24 days later, the stirring happened. 24 days later, after hearing God's word come out of Haggai's mouth, they listened. And guess what? God renewed them. Jesus brought renewal. For us, he offers renewal. He renews the spirit of the lukewarm believer through putting him back on mission. Jesus comes. He stirs up your heart. And what he does is he has the Holy Spirit literally dwelling within you believers. And he calls you back to the mission he called you from in the beginning. And being put back to work by God is what brings about renewal. It helps you find fulfillment. It's all about perspective. You'll see here that they were finally doing what they were called to do. They had a renewed excitement that comes from following Jesus. Believer, you want excitement? You want fulfillment? Quote, unquote, follow Christ. He is your fulfillment. None of us are. This building isn't. This town isn't. This city isn't. This state isn't. No person in here is either. He brings fulfillment. And he does it through renewal. Now, I'm a manager at a retail store. Okay? So what I do, it's a sales store. Right? So I listen to transactions all day long. 
So one of my reps will be talking to a customer and I'm listening to how they're communicating to the customer. I'm listening to the words they're using. And then after those transactions, I'm pulling them aside and I'm trying to help them be better at their job to help them be more conscientious, to have better customer service, to sell, that's what their job is. I coach them. Christ coaches us too. He offers it. He offers it to us daily. When you go to him in prayer and you read his word and you commune with other believers, you know why we pray together? Because that's part of him coaching us up. That's part of him encouraging us to nudge us on to the next thing. That's what Jesus offers, and it's amazing. Are you being renewed? When's the last time you were renewed? Because you can't do it. Jesus does and can. You can't do it, but he offers it. We're going to have communion here tonight, and we're going to wash feet. Yeah, wash feet, right? Yeah, it's cool. Nobody even reacted to that. But we do that because Christ did it. And, and it's awesome to see how God uses an image of that, of walking through the world on a day-to-day -day basis and getting gunk and grime on an intimate part of your body that no one wants anybody else to see. And then washing those feet, showing that we daily need to be renewed by Christ. That's what he's about. Section two is the older believer. You see this verses one through nine, okay? Young guys, you can't check out for this because you're going to be older one day too. What happens here is they're rebuilding the temple. Things are going well, okay? This is like two months later, okay? They're rebuilding the temple. But for, to give you just a little bit of background, remember who built the first temple? It was Solomon. And he basically had all the money in the world. So we think that temple looked good or didn't look good. Probably looked banging. Like, awesome, okay? Gold on the walls, big, huge cedar. I mean, it was amazing, okay? Temple was amazing. Now we got some refugees going back to Jerusalem with probably like five bucks in their pocket, or they call them shekels. They got like five shekels to their name. How we think this temple's going to look? Man, not great, right? In, in comparison, it ain't the same thing. It's not the same thing. So these guys are following after God. They're doing what God told them to do. They're rebuilding the temple. And you know what the older believers were doing? Well, that doesn't look like the temple that we had. Yeah, it doesn't look like what we had. Our temple was a lot prettier than that. We had gold on the wall. That's a panel. I don't know what we're going to do. Do you hear it? Do you hear it? For an older believer, hear the, hear the heart behind these words. Older believers are called to lead and disciple younger believers, not discourage them with romantic remembrances of the past. I get the good old days idea. I get it. That's not your role. Your role as an older believer in Christ is to encourage the younger ones, not to make them feel bad because they were born at the wrong time. You see, the older discourage the younger by comparing the new temple to the one that Solomon built. How many times have you heard that phrase, the good old days? Now, generally, I work in the villages, so I run into a lot of people that say this regularly. Those are people that grew up in the 50s and 60s, generally. 
all due respect, but that was an incredibly hard time for a lot of people. The good old days were full of social unrest, economic trouble, assassinations, racism. The good old days aren't as good as you remember. A lot of times we romanticize the past. Young guys, we do this too. The music that you'll love 10 years from now is the music you're listening to right now. Seriously, it's weird. We romanticize the past and we think about the, the time before and what we remember is the good and we push away the bad and the problem is your role is to encourage the younger believers. Your role is not to discourage them and make them feel bad about when they exist. And you, you, you're probably not even doing it intentionally, but that's happening. The point is to follow God in the time that you live. That's the point. And he continues in verses 4 through 9. And, and God responds to this, and this is really cool. He says, Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel. Be strong, O Joshua. Be strong, all you people in the land, declares the Lord. For I am with you. Work. According to the covenant that I made with you when, I, when you came out of Egypt, work. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not, for thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this this place I give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. What he's saying there is that the glory that will come in that shanty temple compared to the one that Solomon had will be better. When Solomon had the temple, it was like one of the craziest parties you see in all of the Bible. God showed up and it was fireworks like crazy. It was nuts. And what God is saying there is that in this temple that's being rebuilt, it will be greater now than it was before. And the greatness of it is not the gold on the walls. It's not the adornments. It's not the utensils. It's the fact that God is meeting with his people there. It's about the intimacy. It's the reason we meet together on a Sunday morning to intimately meet with God. To get a glimpse of his glory, his righteousness, and his holiness. It's why we're here. It's his presence. That's what it's all about. The Holy Spirit's presence is what makes it worthy. Are you here to meet with God this morning? that's why we're here meet with his people love his people and meet him we're almost done section three is defilement to blessing this is chapter two verses ten through the end of the chapter it says on the 24th day of the ninth month in the second year of Darius the word of the Lord came to Haggai the prophet thus says the Lord of hosts ask the priests about the law this is what pastor uh, Michael read earlier if someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with the fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food does it become holy the priest answered and said no then Haggai said, if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? The priest answered, yes, it does become unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, 
So is it with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord. And so with every work of their hands and what they offer there is unclean. What he's saying is that defilement spreads quickly and easily. Holiness is deliberate. It's a choice. Following God, being, actually doing what he's called you to do, is deliberate. God explains that the Jews were defiled in their inactivity in the temple. They were meant for holiness. They were called to point people to God. They were called to be the people that God could look to. And then everyone else would say, there's something different about these people. Look at what God is doing in their lives. Their God might be real. And they were too busy building their own houses and listening to their favorite song and keeping their faces in their cell phones. That's what they were too busy doing. He uses this example to point out that walking with him is a choice. Following God is a choice. It's holiness, defilement. You see the picture of the waste being pumped in. Is that water now clean? No, the water is now polluted. It's dirty. Christ removes the sin from your life. He takes it away. All of it. He's paid for the sins that you've already committed and the ones that you will. He makes you holy. Remember the renewal we talked about earlier? That requires you actually communicating with the God of the universe. Intimacy. Just like the temple. What they were doing. What he was calling them to to begin with. Final principle is verses 15 through 20. This is the blessing principle. So he says all of these things, and then what he says is, he is going to be just. He will handle everything. God will destroy the kingdoms that are against him. He will overthrow them. He will place Zerubbabel in a high place for following him. And God's blessing is contingent on your participation in his work. Your participation will equal blessing. Now remember, blessing doesn't mean everything's easy. Blessing means you're closer to God. Finally, God explained that he attached, that he, that he attacked their harvest due to their inaction. Now he'll bless them for their obedience. He says, I took away everything that you had. You went for the wine. You thought there was going to be 50, but there was only 20. I took it away to get your attention. And now I bring you blessing because you're following me. Remember that intimacy with God through the temple was the end goal. It wasn't a building. He was reconnecting to his people, not simply building some place. How's your intimacy level with God? Would you, would you say that it's high? Would you say that you spend time with God? Would you say that you spend time with God with other believers? Because, again, that's what he's calling us to. Closing it up. Why do you care? It's about some Jewish people... Like uh, 15, like a billion years ago, I don't know. A long time ago. Why do you care about what they were doing? Like, why do you care about what God was doing in their life? Because you shouldn't stop trusting or following God just because everything in your life doesn't go easily. Following Him can be tough, but it is very rewarding. Take the time to stop and run a diagnostic. The way that, you, that way you know that you're following God and not following yourself. Always look up, especially when things are going south. That is what he wants. Listen to him. The good old days weren't as good as you remember. Encourage the younger believers. 
encourage them to follow God in their life now. What makes this place special is God's presence, not ours. That includes here. That's not just a temple in Jerusalem. What makes this place special is the fact that God is here. Just a building, just a block in Ocala. God offers blessing to those that will follow him. And finally, your community needs to hear the message of hope. They need to hear it. They need to hear what the God of the universe does, has done for them. How much he loves them. And then once they come to know Christ, they need to know that it's about his glory and working for his glory. So final closing question. How oblivious are you? How oblivious have you been? Remember, God's called you out of darkness into light. You're in the new chapter of your life. You were in captivity. You were gone away. You were separated from where you are supposed to be. If you have accepted the grace of God, you're out of captivity. But what are you doing now? Are you so oblivious that you're doing your own thing that you're not following God where he has you? Take the headphones out. Put the phone down. Lay your frustrations and regrets down. Look to him that knows you. His desire is intimacy. You were built for this next chapter. Let's do this chapter together. Thanks again for listening. If you have any questions or would like more information about Grace Church of Ocala or the sermon you just heard, please visit our home on the web, ocalagrace.org.